0: Hey, Story Show listeners, Jeremy here. And Angie. And Shane. So we're here sharing another story from our recent Light My Fire story show. Um, This time, Chris Welter's story, The Dancing Flame. And this story is about his obsession uh, with fire as Mm -hmm. a child. Mm -hmm. And so we've been talking a little bit about things that we've been obsessed with
1: his obsession (laughs) this is running through my head obsession
0: Obsession. wasn't that a fragrance
1: oh it still is oh yeah big time yeah Yeah. uh man I had tons of obsessions like we could just keep circling back (laughs) um probably like the first big one was Buffy the Vampire Slayer like I was like intense about that show I would, I'd probably watched the whole series like three or four times. Like not since I was so, twenty five, so. so how
0: old were you but, when that when that broke? When
1: that, um so I would have been sixteen.
0: Okay. Yeah. Yeah, I kinda missed that. I, I I never I don't know what I was doing. I think I was in graduate school, I maybe wasn't watching much T V. You either <laughs> didn't feel like a rub at all. <laughs> oh, nice. <Birdie. laughs>
2: I was I was in graduate. School. I don't know if you knew this, but uh, I was in, grad in college.
0: School, I was didn't have time to watch silly shows. And when I did watch some, I was either reading Russian novels or watching art house films. Yeah, if you want to hear Who?
1: Jeremy talk about like his favorite TV shows, please fast forward to five minutes from now. <laughs> oh
0: God, I hate myself. <laughs> So anyway, uh, I don't know. I don't know a whole lot about Buffy the Vampire
2: Slayer. Like two sentences. Tell us about Buffy.
1: Her name's Buffy. She slays vampires. <laughs> <laughs> That's all you need to know. That's good. I like that it. was I like the show. It. Except for it's like it's just a coming of age tale. It's about a, a okay. girl who all of a sudden is like the most powerful being on earth. Which, as a sixteen-year-old girl, like really appealed to me. Like. I would have been nice to yeah. be that powerful and to be able to help people in the way she did. And she a good vampire, I take it. She wasn't a vampire. She, she slayed. slayed. The vampire. She slayed. I'm so. Sorry. Yeah. Ugh. Totally different show. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Don't beat yourself up. <laughs> That's Vampire Diaries. Sit sit in the corner. <laughs> yeah, no, it was empowering. It was nice to watch. It was nice to watch somebody my age and. So yeah, what's interesting,
0: what's interesting, though, about that is you were obsessed with it before the age of streaming that mm-hmm. we're in now. Like, I just watched all of season three of Stranger Things in like so good. a week. Mm-hmm. And yeah. I have a job. <laughs> <laughs> so, so uh, but, you know, I mean, it's different now. Like, you can get into a show. Like, Shane was... Teasing me a little bit earlier about how Jenny and I literally our, our kids were gone one day this summer, and I'm not kidding you. We watched ten hours, I think, of of uh, Game of Thrones. So I mean, like just two binged. full seasons. We just binged. <laughs> we binged. Yeah, and um, but you couldn't do that back in the day. I mean, you once Wait. a week.
1: I still have the series finale of Buffy on VHS. I had to work that night. And Josh recorded it for me. Oh,
2: what a superhero! I
1: know he was. Wow. Yeah.
2: That's really amazing. Oh, my obsession has nothing to do with TV. <laughs> <laughs> well,
0: you're, you're probably much less superficial. Than no,
2: me. I don't think I am. <laughs> Did you go to graduate school? Too? <laughs> what else in graduate school? <laughs> um, I, when I was a kid, we went to my grandparents' house after school, and I found this box of 45s, and it was a psychedelic orange swirl on it. And I was like, what is this? Well, one of my uncles, I think, had left it behind when he moved out, when he grew up. And I would f- rifle through it. And every day I would play these 45s. And I got sort of addicted to that song, Locomotion. You know the song? <laughs> do you yeah. Locomotion with me. Yeah,
1: yeah. yeah, yeah that's,
2: and it's like a whole series. Like, you could do a dance with it. Yeah. So, big spoiler alert. Here's uh, me <laughs> dancing in my grandparents' living room. <laughs> all by myself. <laughs> Wow. <laughs> to the song Locomotion. And I was obsessed with it, like, because I loved the way, like, lyrically it moved through. And that's still a thing I'm yeah. obsessed with today. Like, all my music choices have to tell a story. <laughs> and I'm part of a story show. haha! Oh, uh, well, yeah. So, yeah, obsessions, like, you, they sort of consume you, right? Yeah. And you really hear that in uh, Chris's story today. Just the obsession turns into this. It consumes him, and I mean,
0: it almost I, becomes
1: deadly. It
2: does, and it's really, it's really a hook. Yeah. Well, and
1: I think,
0: uh, I, you know, he knew, he knew, he he knew what his that his obsession was dangerous. Right? Yeah, he recognized. And, that. And, I mean, I think, I think especially when you're kids, when you know something's supposed to be off limits, it it makes it all the more enticing, you know. Have you Dude. seen? There's this movie called um, This Boy's Life. Have you seen it? It was one of Leonardo DiCaprio's uh, first roles. And so he's like 11 or 12 in it, maybe maybe a little older, but really young. And uh, it's based on a book by Tobias Wolfe, an uh, autobiographical book. And in it, uh, Leonardo's character, um, his, his mother's boyfriend, I think, live-in boyfriend, bought him a gun for his birthday. And... It's summertime. He's home in their apartment all by himself all day long and he cannot. The rule is he cannot touch the gun unless you know his parents are there. And it just drives him nuts cuz it's there all day long. Sure. And so he he starts out getting it out and then cleaning it and holding it and this evolves into him pointing it out the window and scoping it at people. And you know, like and and eventually eventually he ends up uh, shooting a squirrel from, you know, with it and he has to he has to you know, what do I do with this, you know? And he's anyway, it's it's just the that obsession when you're not supposed to touch something. When yeah. you know something's a little dangerous, and you start out doing it in secret and then pretty soon, you know, And uh, yeah, it's a it's a great movie, though. Uh, uh, Ellen Barkin is in it and Robert De Niro plays the abusive, crazy boyfriend. Yeah,
1: I assumed since he bought a young boy, he wasn't related to a gun. (laughs) (laughs) Uh,
0: This our next show, we might have someone coming from Spain uh, to tell a story in it. Wow. I'm just going to throw that out That's there. That's a teaser. Oh, and that. But uh, beyond that, I think Chris wins the award for traveling the longest for the story show because he lives in Duluth. He's a friend of mine from college, which is how I sort of recruited him into this. But um, it was pretty awesome, you know, that he came down uh, to do that. So it was we had, Very nice of him and a great story. Yeah, really good story. Great performance of it and... Uh, Yeah, his timing's awesome, and it was was a great, great story to close the show with. Well, we hope you enjoy it, too. All right, here it is.
1: Come do the locomotion with us. (laughs) (laughs)
0: Chris Welter's The Dancing Flame. Enjoy. Uh, Chris Welter, our final speaker, is one of my oldest and dearest friends. It just occurred to me, as I was sitting here, that we've been friends for 28 years. So, uh, he's also not the first friend that I pressured to write a story for the story show. (laughs) And he won't be the last. Um, Though it's impossible to recall what story first sparked Chris's imagination, he was a devoted reader of Childcraft, the How and Why Library, which led to a home recording of the poem there once was a puffin. Then, intrigued by a paperback copy of Jonathan Livingston Seagull that he found in his mother's closet, he chose to read a portion of it aloud to his sixth grade class, making the odd artistic decision to speak it aloud in a southern drawl. <laughs> Often guilty of speaking too fast, he eventually preferred his writing to his storytelling and was fortunate to publish articles on Minnesota history related to the RMS Titanic and the infamous failed Northfield bank robbery. From his youth till now, however, one constant remains as friends and family remind him, his hot air often outlasts his hot topic. This is The Dancing Flame by Christopher Welter.
3: The short version of this story, the version my wife prefers for all of my stories, is as follows. One, I am a recovering pyromaniac. Two, I am in recovery precisely because I failed to light a fire. Three, before I failed, my hometown combusted spontaneously, and four, The town I now work in burned to the ground, not an exaggeration, but I had nothing to do with that, I swear. (laughs) So, let's begin. First, let me explain what I mean when I say recovering pyromaniac. I don't mean the first definition of pyromaniac as it's defined by Merriam-Webster, which reads as follows. Pyromaniac. Noun a person who has an uncontrollable impulse to start fires, a person affected by pyromania. I mean the explanatory note that follows, sometimes used in an exaggerated or joking way to refer to a person who enjoys fires. I have given some thought to when exactly I began to enjoy fire. I grew up in a house with parents who smoked, and so I think it's fair to say that Bic is primarily responsible for introducing me to the hypnotic allure of the dancing flame. Back then, Dad smoked camel filters, and his cellophane-wrapped carton was always accompanied by the ubiquitous Bic plastic lighters of monochromatic design. Mom, meanwhile, was an ardent consumer of Carlton 100s. Whereas Dad sat his lighter atop his carton, Mom sported more panache. Hers were either tucked neatly into the front pocket of her leather cigarette case, the one with the gold metal clasp on top, or docked in a lighter holder the approximate size of a can of V8 and sporting a vintage map of the world. (laughs) But what I remember best is the sound of firing up that lighter, the snap of the metal turning mechanism igniting the flammable juice inside. And just like that, the tongue of flame appeared. I fired those picks up so many times, the tip of my thumb went from red and sore to calloused and coarse. <laughs> I did not ignite in order to light a fire, mind you. I did so to gaze at that undulating flame. You might say that fire was a kind of playmate to me. and like most Playmates, we expanded the scope and variety of our activities as we became more familiar with each other. In other words, I started lighting things on fire. A piece of Kleenex, cigarette stubs, ants, the occasional black cat firecracker, even a piece of mom's honey blonde hair. I enjoyed watching it shrivel up into nothingness, but Boy, did it stink. (laughs) I was forewarned, of course, that playing with fire was a dangerous activity, one to be avoided by a naive boy. Then, when I was in first grade, something truly destructive and scary happened. One afternoon, on a beautiful autumn day, while my classmates and I were sitting at our desks in a classroom at St. Michael's Catholic School in Morgan, a garden variety farming community a couple of counties northwest of Albert Lee, a thunderous boom split the air and rattled the window panes. One of the grain elevators in town had exploded. That evening we turned on KEYC television. It was astounding to see the aftermath of that explosion right on our television in our own living room. Just blocks away from where we sat watching Volunteer firefighters from a half dozen surrounding towns scrambled around their cherry red and canary yellow fire trucks, battling the flames. The top of the elevator, a rectangular metal roof, lay in the middle of Morgan's one true thoroughfare. No one was killed, fortunately, but Dad's older brother, along with another Welter relative, suffered burns to their hands and faces. Scary as that was, I didn't yet fully appreciate just how dangerous and destructive fire could be. As a hometown, Morgan didn't have much to offer in the way of entertainment or adventure to a young boy. Either you rode your bike around town or you went to the library. But there was a junkyard on the southeast part of town littered with abandoned vehicles and the occasional piece of viable construction equipment. A playmate and I would hang out there on occasion, crawling into a derelict sedan or pickup truck older than any of our parents, and pretend driving to or from somewhere else. We did just this on a Sunday morning when we knew no one would be around. Those pieces of construction equipment I mentioned bulldozers, backhoes, caterpillars and the like, removed from job to job via a drab green semi-tractor and scuffed yellow flatbed trailer. I made my way over to it. I remember being drawn to its silver fuel tank glinting in the sunshine. I can still see the tank's cap. I can still feel the cap in my hand as I unscrewed it. I can still see deep into that tank, noticing a portion of my reflection in its contents. I wonder how it might burn. I think that it should cause an explosion, a mushroom plume explosion, like the ones I sometimes saw on the television show's chips or emergency. (laughs) I think that if it did ignite, I'd have enough time to run to safety. I pull out my box of diamond brand large wooden matches. I strike one of them on the sandpaper side of the box and hear that snap hiss of ignition. I drop that lit match into the tank. I hear the match sizzle out upon contact. I repeat this entire sequence more than once. (laughs) And I can still see in my peripheral vision the red and black T-top Pontiac sports car, Trans Am or Firebird, driving by at a snail's pace, the very same that belonged to the man whose family lived directly across the road from the junkyard. I knew instantly that I was in trouble, but the car didn't stop. It took a right turn onto the street where the man and his family lived, in the exact opposite direction from where I was standing. I kept watching. The family exited the car, but the man didn't follow them into the house. He walked calmly, slowly even, towards me. When he got close enough for me to read his expression, I thought he'd yell at me. He didn't. He said, go home, and tell your mother what you were doing." His anger, fear, I later realized, wasn't in his voice. It was in his face's ruddy complexion and in his trembling hands. At that moment, finally, I realized that what I was trying to do wasn't just stupid, it was genuinely dangerous. In the time it took for me to ride my bike back home, Also, at a snail's pace, because I knew I was in big, big trouble when I got there, the man must have returned home and called my mother. I parked my bike in the garage and prepared myself for the severe scolding that would surely ensue when I entered the house. For the second time in less than a half hour, though, I was surprised and confused when I didn't get yelled at. Instead, Mom waved me into her arms, tears in her eyes, and gave me a hug to last a lifetime. Even though I couldn't connect the dots in my mind, I have set fire to plenty of things. How bad could this be? (laughs) I had no trouble whatsoever interpreting mom's emotions. I had put myself in harm's way. So, you can't fix stupid, but you can grow out of it, and... Thankfully, that's what I did. And by the way, I can't explain to you what didn't happen that day. I have had it suggested to me that perhaps it was diesel fuel, which needs to be under pressure in order to ignite. From then on, I confine myself to lighting up things that were meant to be lit. Firecrackers, campfires, scented candles, my mother's sofa... Many years later, I moved to Hibbing in order to work as an archivist at the Iron Range Research Center located in nearby Chisholm. For purposes of this story, you can think of the Research Center as a treasure chest filled with historical collections that document the collective life experience of Iron Rangers from Ely to Hibbing, then west to Grand Rapids, then south, all the way down to Crosby-Ironton. I knew next to nothing about range history when I started but through a little thing I like to call intellectual osmosis I absorbed it quickly. As I worked more and more with the historical photograph collections it became clear that something truly devastating had happened to the town of Chisholm in September 1908. What had been a precocious town on the up was little more than rubble and ruin. A local journalist tried to explain the most terrible calamity that could possibly come to a community with the exception of that that would cause a loss of life has come to Chisholm and has left us poor and needy and discouraged indeed. Let us tell you of this thing which we can hardly realize and appears to many of us but a dream. On an early September Saturday, a wildfire had been blown into town from the west. Though residents had been aware of the fire since before noon, the collective thought was that it would pass north of town. But around 5.30 that evening, the wind switched to a southerly direction. Nothing could be done to stay the advance of the flames, wrote the journalist, and the puny efforts of man were as nothing and were laughed to scorn by the fire god. By 8.30, a paltry 65 buildings out of nearly 500 were still intact. By today's standards, the damage exceeded $39 million. As unlikely as my own near miss was back in that junkyard, Chisholm residence was even more so. Not a single person perished. In that conflagration. I wasn't there in Chisholm in 1908, but I know just how lucky the residents were to be spared an even worse fate. I wasn't there when the grain elevator exploded, but I know just how lucky my relatives were. Shane Kepke to be produces the, the story show
0: fate. along with me, Jeremy Corey Obviously, Greenis, I and was there Angie Zoller Barker, whose enthusiasm for security might surprise
3: you. A Now, as I conclude my tale of pyromania, this is what I have learned during my recovery. One, fire is a sneaky changeling. I saw it morph from the spry, petite flame dancing at the head of a big lighter into the so-called fire god that ravaged an Iron Range town. Two, it's okay to love your fire, just don't love your fire. (laughs) Three, I still feel the urge to make the flame dance for me, but I take the edge off by lighting up a gold Zippo on occasion, just so I can hear that snap hiss of ignition, then extinguish the flame in a flash. And four, most important of all, I now have a sponsor, my wife. She now lights my fire.
0: Shane Kepke produces The Story Show along with me, Jeremy Corey Greenus, and Angie Zoller-Barker, who's currently auditioning for action hero
2: roles.
1: we got to gun up the world. Let's go. (laughs) One teen boy at a time. (laughs)
2: should be our fade out.
0: (laughs) Enjoy the show, everyone. Teen girl. Check out our webpage at thestoryshow.org. And please encourage your friends to listen to our podcast. They can find us wherever you listen to podcasts. Just search for The Story Show in quotes. Thanks.